Good morning, church family. It's good to be here with you all today. But I'm Brian Bradshaw. I'm an elder and the pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And for our scripture reading today, we'll be out of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And today we have a special guest speaker, so allow me to officially introduce Bobby Tibbles. Bobby Tibbles serves as a pastor and activities director at the Vision Retreat Center, a Christian camp at the south end of town. Bobby has been pursuing pastoral ministry for over 20 years and has been blessed to receive equipping through formal education and hands-on experience. Bobby has served as a youth pastor, associate pastor, senior pastor, and a camp pastor. Bobby has been married to the love of his life, Connie, for 29 years, and they have four adult children and eight grandchildren. And today he's selected to preach from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm using the New American Standard 95 edition. The text says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostilities by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May God bless the reading of his word, and let us welcome Bobby to the stage this morning. Thank you. Well, like Byron said, I have four kids and eight grandkids. When he says it, it makes me sound old. Uh, truth is, I, uh, I recognized, if you have children, um, they quickly make you old, okay? So I think if you don't have them, maybe you age a little bit slower. But I recognized I was getting old um, probably in my late 30s. Older than I should be in my late 30s anyway. My oldest son, Dalton, had gotten into running around his sophomore or junior year maybe. I can't remember now. But he had gotten into running, was running track. And and uh, the church that we ministered in at the time uh, hosted an annual 5K race. Uh, he asked me if I wanted to run that year. Well, between the moment that he asked me the question and that split second, between that moment and the time I responded, I had this conversation with myself. You're healthy. You go to the gym a couple times a week. You played basketball in high school. You played football a lot. There's a lot of running in football. Yes. That was it. I said yes. Now... You should know I'm not a runner. <laughs> All right? I am not a runner. Uh, and so as the, the time approached for this thing to happen, uh, Dalton and I, we signed up. We got our numbers. And uh, we, we lined up in the starting position. And, and this was a huge thing uh, for this church that we ministered. It was one of the biggest outreaches that we had. And so typically you'd have... Uh, at this race, four or five hundred people. I mean, it was a big race. And so we're somewhere in the middle of the pack uh, when we line up. And uh, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, what I remember is that I didn't diet leading up to the race. I didn't discipline myself 
whatsoever at all in preparation for the race. In fact, I didn't even run the course not one time, even though I knew the course. I didn't even walk the course. <laughs> Late 30s, <laughs> now, that was a big mistake. So when the, when the gun goes off and everybody takes off, in spite of all of that, I don't think I did horrible, um, uh, at least not for the first half of the race. So the first half, I did pretty good. I came out of the hole well. I kept up with most of the crowd pretty well. And about the time that we turned uh, to double back for the rest of the course and head back toward the finish line, I hit that proverbial wall. And I can remember experiencing cramps in my body in places that I didn't know existed in my body. And so I had never sweat so much in all of my life. I couldn't see uh, for all of the sweating. And I was dry mouth. I had that cotton mouth experience. And I just felt like I was going to absolutely die. The second half of the race, I agonized all the way through it. It was one of the most painful experiences of my life. Toward the end, all I could think about was I might die. I literally had this thought, this might kill me before I get to the end. Or worse, I might pass out and embarrass myself in front of my church family. Right? And so as I round the corner toward the finish line, I can see the finish line coming. And I have this hope, and I'm starting to muster the last bit of strength I have to make it to the end of this thing. So I can just collapse and let somebody bring me some medical attention. As I round the corner and I can see the finish line, something catches my vision out of the left side of my eye. Somebody is passing me. A guy is passing me on the left side, pushing a stroller. (laughs) With two babies in it. So needless to say, I, I, didn't, I didn't finish well. I didn't finish as well as I could have. And I just wonder this morning, how many of us, when the race is over, are we going to have to confront that reality? That we didn't finish as well as we could have finished. I have six thoughts for you this morning that I hope will help you finish well, wherever you are in your race today, if you embrace these things that are in this passage this morning, I think it will help you finish well. The big idea this morning is just fix your eyes on Jesus and finish the race well. Let me pray for us and then we'll get into it. Father, I thank you. For the privilege of having such rich access to your word. Thank you for the grace that you have shown us to rescue us, deliver us from our sin. All of it, every bit of it nailed to the cross as we've sung about. You've given us a new identity in Christ. Lord, help us to embrace the race that you've set before us. And run it well for your glory, for your purposes. Lord, I pray 
melt hearts this morning. Comfort your people. Encourage your people to run, to endure. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you just a little bit of context. Hebrews was written to mostly Jewish believers uh, who were considering drawing back from the great salvation that you find in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews was writing to encourage these believers to stay in the race and to not quit, but to endure and encouraging them to be a witness to others around them to continue on and to endure. And the writer also, uh, in addition to just encouraging, gives them a number of different warnings about quitting and falling out of the race. Turn with me, if you will, just to uh, the second chapter of Hebrews. I just want to kind of help set the scene for you just a little bit with some of these warnings. Chapter 2, look at verse 1. The writer says, For this reason... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. There's a potential, there was for these readers, there is for us as well, to drift away from the things that we have heard, from the things that we've been taught. And so there is a warning against doing that kind of thing. Turn over to chapter 3 and look at verse 12. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving Heart that falls away from the living God. Unbelieving. That's a key word as we move through this book. So hold on to that. Think about that. Faith and belief in God and who He is and what He says. When we begin to drift away from what He says, we begin to discard everything He said about who He is and about what He's going to do. There's a warning about doing that and about falling away from Him. Turn over to chapter 10. And I'm not going through all of the warnings for the sake of time. I just wanted to mention a few of them. Look at verse 23 in chapter 10. It says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What does that tell you? That in their minds and in their hearts there was doubt that God was faithful, that He would keep His word, that He would keep His promises, that He would do what He said that He would do. Look also in that same chapter at verse 36. He says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. And so then that brings us then to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we're going to see six things, six things that I've drawn out of the passage for us this morning anyway, that will help you run your race. That if you embrace these things, these things will keep you in the race and keep you from falling away in unbelief. Number one, listen to the encouragers. Listen to the encouragers. Look again at verse 1 there in chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So during the uh, 5K race that my son and I participated in, 
there were a number of people that were strategically scattered throughout the race. People from the church. Uh, again, this is how they ministered. Uh, and they were planted throughout the race to do a number of different things, to pass out water uh, as you progress through the course, uh, to call out your time uh, as you made your way through, and just to give you encouragement, just to shout out, you can do this. Uh, keep going. Don't quit. Keep running. Um, and number of those, again, were scattered throughout the course of scriptures telling us here in this passage that spiritually the same kind of thing is scattered throughout our course. It surrounds us, calling out to us, urging us on. Um, the therefore there at the very beginning of that verse is pointing to who these encouragers are. It's pointing us back to chapter 11. This entire cloud of witnesses that we have has been listed for us in chapter 11. Great men and women of God who have gone on, who have run their race with endurance. And the idea isn't that there are a host of people sitting in the bleachers in heaven looking down at the stadium here on earth as we run our race and they're screaming at us, keep going, keep doing it, keep running. That's not the idea. The people that are in heaven are not occupied with us. I assure you of that. And that's not the idea that the writer is trying to convey. The idea that he's conveying is that their lives witness to us, testify to us. In fact, if you go back to Hebrews, uh, or to chapter 11, it talks about Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, though which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. His life is speaking to our life. The works that he accomplished through faith are testifying to us that the race can be run. I want to just focus just on one. Again, there's a number of great men and women in that passage. And I think we should look back here because the writer's pointing us to do that. But I just want to listen to just one of these encouragers this morning for sake of time. I want us to look at Abraham. So look at verses 17 and 18 for just a minute. Chapter 11, verses 17 and 18. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Now just think about this for just a second. Just try and put yourself in, in Abraham's shoes. I think sometimes that we read through these people and we could put them on some kind of a pedestal like they're superhumans or something. They don't experience emotion. They don't experience inner turmoil. They don't get confused. They don't see their reality and, and it's how it conflicts sometimes with the Word of God. But in this passage, it's telling us that that very thing happened for Abraham. God had made Abraham a promise. I made a huge promise that the entire nation of Israel hinged upon. In fact, that blessing of the entire world hinged upon this promise that he had made to Abraham. 
And now God is saying, kill your son. The one in whom I've told you, I'm going to bless you through. I'm going to bless the nations of the earth through. This is the promise. Can you imagine what Abraham must have been thinking? As he takes Isaac and he marches up that mountain. Obediently. In faith. Fearing God. But not understanding it didn't make sense to him. It could not have made sense to him. In fact, it tells us right here, the only way that he could rationalize what it was that God was telling him is that God's going to bring him back to life, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to pan out. But I have faith that God made a promise and he's going to keep it. Even if my son dies. If God has to bring him back, that's how he's going to keep his promise. I don't know how to figure it out. I know it's a problem. Abraham's life testifies, witnesses to our life. That when it seems like God is jerking the rug out from underneath of us, when it seems like his promises aren't going to come true, the, the thing that God said doesn't mess with reality. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense with what I'm experiencing, with what I'm walking through. Abraham's life, his witness, his race says trust. It says keep the faith. It says believe God because he's good. It says he keeps his word. You can believe in him. You can trust him completely. So we should listen to the encouragers. They're real people. Real experiences just like yours. Real emotions just like yours. Real inner turmoil and conflict just like you experience. Real people. Real faith. That ran a real race just like yours. And all of them didn't experience the fruit of what they were promised. Look at verses 32 through 40 just real quickly. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, of the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourging, yes, and chains and imprisonment. They were sown. Stone, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. I'm going to tell you right now that God's made you some promises. 
there are some expectations that you might have regarding God and His promises that you won't experience in this lifetime. You're going to have to run your race by faith. And these men and women witness to us that it can be done and that it should be done, that God is trustworthy. He will keep His promises. So listen to the encouragers. Next, lay aside the encumbrances. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Now, the author mentions encumbrances and sins. So we know that these are not the same thing. These are two different things that he's talking about. The word for encumbrance is agkos. And it simply means weight or it means bulk. And if you're a runner, what this would mean for you if you're a runner back in this time and you needed to shed weight, you might have to discipline yourself to get rid of some of this excess baggage that you're carrying around the midsection or something like that so that you can run well. Or it might just mean stripping out of garments that are hindering the race. Many of you probably know that multiple races were run and not just what we call the Olympics today there at Mount Olympus, but they, they, they had different races throughout the year at different places uh, so that you could, you could travel and compete uh, in these different races throughout the year. And the runners were known for running naked. No weight. <laughs> I mean, they said as much as they can. And it, it just kind of reminds me, uh, again, Traveling in my mind back to this one 5K that I run, as we're preparing for this thing, we get there and the whole crowd's there, and again, four or five hundred people, and you're kind of scanning the crowd. You can kind of pick out who's a real runner and who's not a runner, and people are doing different things to get warmed up. They're stretching, they're on the ground, they got their legs as bent out as far as they can. And I didn't do any of this, by the way. And and uh, some of them go ahead and they run the race. There's one guy that ran the race twice. He ran the whole course twice before the race. And then about the time that the race started, and he had on you know some kind of sweatpants uh, when he did that. And about the time uh, for the race to start, he strips out of these sweatpants. He takes off his, his shirt, revealing this really just thin, uh, lightweight uh, uh, garment. But when he stripped his pants... This guy had on the tiniest pair of shorts I've ever seen on a grown man before in my life. And it was a little embarrassing, honestly, watching him do this. But I was intrigued because as he's stripping out of this garment, it reveals on his thigh two tiger tattoos. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, if you're going to reveal that much thigh, uh, and it's going to be adorned with tiger tattoos on both of them, uh, you better sure enough win this race, right? I mean, don't you think that? Well, as it happens, this is the guy that won the race. So. But what he understood was that you train heavy, maybe, to build up your endurance. But when it's time for the race, you strip everything off. That's going to hinder you. You get as light as you can. Any encumbrance that's going to slow you down, you get rid of it. That's the idea. That's the thought. That's what he did. 
And that's what's being conveyed to us here. We need to lay aside the encumbrance that's holding us back. What does this mean for a believer? What does it mean to set aside, lay aside the encumbrances in our life? Well, these are things that may not be sinful, but they're things that are just the same holding you back from running well, from finishing well. Ask yourself this question. Do the books I read, the shows that I watch, the music that I listen to, the social, social media that I engage in, the hobbies that I enjoy, do these things produce in me greater faith? Do they draw me nearer to Jesus? Do they produce in me greater purity, greater self-control? Does it make me more spirit-filled? Or do they make me look more like the world? Now, these things in and of themselves may not be sinful. Again, we're not talking about sinful things that you can go to the Scripture and put your finger on and God says don't do this or God says you must do that. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about things that you might get your arms around, that you're holding on to, that you're carrying. Not, necess- not, not, not necessarily sinful, but things that are holding you back. Things that are keeping you from running well. And I'll be honest with you, it might even be a ministry. It might be. David, for instance, he wanted to build a temple for God. Do you remember that? He, in his heart, he had a desire to build a temple. If he had pursued that course, which God said, that's not your course, that's not for you. If he had pursued that, that would have kept him from running his race. There are things that we try to pick up and carry and hold on to that's not for us. God doesn't want us to hold on to. There are things that are not necessarily sinful that we need to let go of. We need to lay aside. One author put it this way. It's not against the rules for a runner to show up with ankle weights on and a trench coat on. But it don't make sense either. So think about what's holding you back and lay aside those encumbrances. Then he also talks about the entanglements. The sin that so easily entangles us. Now I'm going to say we all, every single one of us, it's built into our DNA. We have a propensity toward a certain Sin. There is a sinful bent in each one of us that propels us in a certain direction, and that's different for everybody. Might be alcoholism, or lust, or money, or pride, or gambling, or gossip. I don't know. It's different for everybody. All of us have a propensity to veer away from God's heart in a certain direction. The author isn't talking about a certain propensity toward a certain kind of sin. 
All sin has a root. Unbelief. And given the context of what the author here in Hebrews is talking about, we're talking about unbelief being the thing that entangles a person and keeps him from running the race well. That's what he's been talking about through the entire book, unbelief. And he's just got through illustrating how all these other men, in spite of all the difficulties of life and all the things that came to bear on their life, the circumstances that came to bear on their life that might hinder them from running the race well because it might cause them to question God, they set all of that aside and said, I choose not to believe all that. I choose to believe God. He's saying, believe. Set aside the sin of unbelief. That's what he's asking us to do. Sin will restrict you from running the race well. And these propensities, these areas where we're bent in this direction to do what we want to do, when we do that, we're saying, I don't believe God. I don't believe his promises for good or for bad. I don't believe that he loves me. I don't believe that my identity's changed. And I can, I, can I be transparent with you? When I veer from the path, when I stray and I plunge into these areas that it's warning me not to, usually the number one reason I do it. It's because I forget what God said about me or I just discard it. I don't believe it. These things, if we allow them to, they'll, they'll surround us and they will trip us up. It's like trying to get to the door. You know, when somebody comes to the house and they startle you and they knock on the door and you know, you're in the living room and got your feet propped up and the ottoman's there and you got grandkids' toys everywhere and you jump up and you try to get to the door real quick and you're stumbling over everything. The house isn't meant to race in, okay? That's what sin does. It kind of collects around us and it strangles us and prevents us from running well. It doesn't, it's not conducive to a running environment. It will hinder you. And if you're not finding success in the race today, you're evaluating yourself right now, you're thinking, man, I wish I had greater victory in this faith race. I wish I had made greater progress. I wish I I was on the course to finishing better. And you're thinking about the sin. I'm telling you, these things will keep you from doing that. Sin will keep you from running the way God wants you to run. Somebody said running with encumbrances is like running with suitcases between your arms, but running with sin is like running with your ankles in chains. You just can't do it. Believer, we need to trust God. Believe his word. Hope in his promises. Loosen the entanglements of unbelief, and run. And then next, we need to last through the endeavor. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run 
with endurance the race that is set before us. One of the best ways to make sure that you finish well is to understand what you've gotten yourself into. So when I told Dalton, yes, I'll run that race, I hadn't really considered what it was I had gotten myself into. I didn't really think through it. Facilitating a race is much different than running in a race. Okay? I didn't understand, I didn't contemplate, consider what kind of discipline and conditioning was involved in running that kind of race. If I had, I would have conditioned better. I would have dieted. I would have disciplined myself. I say that, but I probably wouldn't have. And there are actually several people like me, I guess, in that race that hadn't taken it seriously either. There were several people in that race that needed medical attention in the middle of the race, and they didn't finish at all. Jesus warns us to count the cost. Luke 14, 28 through 29 says, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. I want you to finish well. So this is what I want you to understand about the endeavor. The race, the course is set before you by God. God chooses your course. It's not the same for everybody. Your life, your course, the way it unfolds, the things that you have to encounter, the things that you have to endure will not be the same as the person sitting next to you. So it doesn't even make sense to look at them. You can trust God. He has set a good course before you. It might not look like a good course to you. It didn't look like a good course to Joseph. You remember Joseph, his course was a miserable course. If I had to pick a life for myself, I want to pick the one that God gave him where his brothers hated him and sold him into slavery. And then he spent time in prison because he was accused of doing something that he didn't do. And so he labored there for years and a great majority of his life just kind of wasted away seemingly. But it was the course that God had chosen for him because the end of that thing brought great blessing to him, to his family, to the nation that God wanted to create, and ultimately to the world. And without running that course, the rest of these things don't happen. So God sets a course before us, a course that might not look real good to us, But it's the best course for us, for our family, for the people of God, and for the world. The race at times will be difficult and painful. If you don't anticipate this, you'll quit. In fact, the term used here for race is agon. What does that sound like? Agony. That's where we get the word from. Agony. The race will be agonizing. It's not a quick, easy, painless sprint to the mailbox and back. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a struggle. We're talking about a fight. We're talking about a violent, all-encompassing effort. If you feel like you've been exchanging blows in life, like you've been getting beat around, 
Like you're battling, like you've been waging war. You're not strange. And you're not alone. This is typical for the Christian life. The advertisement to accept Jesus is come and suffer like no man before you. It's not what the name it and claim it people will teach you. Well, if you just name it, there'll be no more relationship issues in your life. There'll be no more money struggles. There'll be no more health issues. There'll be no more inner conflict and turmoil. Jesus never promised that. He promises exactly the opposite. Again, we're identified with Him. He suffered like no man. He says, you identify with me, you'll suffer too. But it's not all suffering. That's part of the race. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The Christian life is the most abundant life that a person can have. There are struggles. There are points in the race where it is absolutely agonizing. Absolutely painful. Miserable. But there's no other race on earth as blessed as the one that He offers, that He presents and sets before us. We have to know that there will be moments of agony in the race, or we'll give up, we won't endure. So, we need to discipline ourselves so that we can endure that agony. And then next, look to the example and we're wrapping up here soon. Look at verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So to finish well, we need to listen to the encouragers. We need to lay aside the encumbrances. We need to loosen the entanglements. We need to last through the endeavor. Most importantly, we need to look to the example. The biggest key to pressing on in the Christian life is fixing our eyes on Jesus. We get so distracted. So distracted by our emotions by our circumstances, by people around us, by the things that are going on in the world. And every little thing captures our attention and pulls us away from the finish line. You remember Peter? Peter, as long as he had his gaze set on Jesus, he could walk on water. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus... And he started looking at that turbulent sea. He sank like a stone. We have to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus. We have to get up in the morning and we have to look to Jesus. And through the day, as we're living out the life and walking and running the race that he set before us, we need to continually look to Jesus. In the evening before we go to bed, we need to look to Jesus. Church, you are in as much desperate need for the gospel today 
as the day it was first brought to you. You need to constantly look to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Jesus, as an example for us, endured some of the most horrific things a human being on this planet has ever endured. And it tells us that He did it with His eyes fixed on the finish line. He looked to the throne in heaven where He would sit down at the end of all of the experience that He had to walk through. He looked to the end where He would sit down next to His Father. Can I remind you that there is a place in heaven for you where you will sit down with Jesus? There is a throne at the finish line for us is Jesus. Jesus is waiting at the finish line for us. That's where we need to have our thoughts, our eyes fixed. Peter tells us in 1 Peter that we should fix our hope completely. Not on the things that are going on in the world, not on our circumstances right now, not on our emotion, not on any of these things, but we should fix our hope completely on the resurrection or on the, the day that Jesus comes back and reveals all of the promises that He's made to us. We should anchor our hope to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should look to that moment in time. On July 4th, 1952, Florence Chadwick endeavored to do something that no woman had ever done before. She wanted to swim the some 26 miles between Catalina Island and the California coast. No woman had ever done it before. She was flanked as she set out on this endeavor by boats on either side of her, small boats, filled with people that loved her, to encourage her on, there to help her, to keep the sharks at bay as she swam. As she swam and swam and swam 15 hours into it, she was getting tired. And an incredibly dense fog had began to set. Florence wasn't able to see the finish line. She couldn't see the coastline. And she began to wonder if she'd made a mistake. She began to doubt her abilities. She told her mom, who was in one of these boats, she said, I don't think I can go on. She swam for another hour and she said, pull me out. I'm done. I can't do anymore. So they pulled her out. And as she sat down in that boat... The realization that she was just a few hundred yards from the coastland began to sink on her. She could have almost have put her feet down at the moment she got out and quit the race and walked to shore. And all of it because she couldn't see the finish line anymore. A couple of months later, she did that race again. This time, she said, I kept an image of that coastline in my mind. In that race, the fog began to set again. She was tired. She was weary just like she was before. And she couldn't see the finish line again. 
But she had a mental image. And she kept that. And she swam for that image. And she found victory that day. She said that was her key to success. Church, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and keep looking to the example. And then I just want to conclude with the last point. Live out the exhortation. Look at verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. Consider the great weight that he carried. Consider the horrific abuse, the brutal hostility that he had to endure. Reflect on him. I did some meditating on that this week. I actually posted something to Facebook in regard to that. Scientists, doctors, medical professionals, and went through the accounts of the Scripture and reconstructed what Jesus might have looked like. It's a horrific scene. And they detail scientifically all that was done to him, how brutal a thing that was to have to walk through. It is a good practice for believers to sit down from time to time and reflect on what Jesus endured. Consider the weight that he bore under and stayed under because of great love for us in faith looking to the finish line. And I know many of you already this year have been through incredible trials. Some of you have already seen things in your lifetime that has filled up your cup of agony. Relationship issues. Brokenness within yourself. You're just tired of this thing that just keeps coming out of you. You've been tempted to quit. Just say, I'm done, I can't do anymore. I beg you, consider Jesus before you quit. Whatever you're walking through today, whatever your race looks like in this moment, however you started, you have the chance to turn it around. I promise you, you can finish well. You can last through the endeavor and you can finish well if you listen to the encouragers, if you lay aside the encumbrances, if you loosen the entanglements, and if you look to the example and truly, truly live out the exhortation that the writer of Hebrews is urging us to. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the gift of your word this morning. Use it in our life. Encourage us, convict us, help us to respond to the way, uh, to you in a way that's pleasing, that's worshipful this morning as we think about these things and consider our own race and how we're running. Father, 
I know you want us all to finish well. Help us to get our arms around these truths this morning so that we can do that. In Jesus' name, amen.